0: Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is
1: excellent batting by Ash Gardner.
0: Johnson strikes again. She's on a hat-trick.
2: She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry.
1: The Australian women's cricket team win
3: their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG.
2: Hello and welcome to The Scoop. We are the cricket podcast dedicated to the women's game. I'm Emily Collin. I'm Laura Jolly. And LJ, I don't think we could have possibly predicted that that test match could have unfolded the way it did, particularly after day three where it was all rainy and we were feeling a bit sad. I mean, I think I was expecting it to sort of end up as a draw and it did, but it was an amazing draw and we're going to go in depth into especially that just wild day four with Kristen Beams and Jess Jonathan. But LJ, I did. I will admit, I was feeling a bit for you who had to file a match report <laughs> on on the bounce. How was that for you? And could you still enjoy watching the cricket at all and watching what was unfolding?
3: Um, yeah it it was pretty hard I ended up with (laughs) about three different leads for three different things that could have happened and ended up being a bit of a jumbled mess at the end but um, I did actually have to go back and re-watch the last hour later just so I could actually focus on what was going on on the field Um, it was incredible and given I thought it would be a fairly dull draw after the rain happened which we we saw in
2: Taunton and
3: towards the end of the the Gold Coast game too. It was um, just an incredible
2: finish. Yeah, it was amazing. Like I, that, was, that was my test debut as well. I'd never been to a women's <laughs> test before. So it set the standard very high and it was a draw. So which means the Australians head into the ODI leg of the series, which starts tomorrow. So they head in with a 6-4 lead, meaning England need to win every game. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm sure both teams will come out firing to tomorrow night at Marnica Oval. So it's a day-nighter, which starts at... 2 p.m. So it's going to be awesome to watch. Of course, we're on Channel 7, Foxtel and KO again. So the cricket continues. But for now, we hope you enjoy two really good chats with Kristen Beams, who sort of runs, she was in the commentary box. So she runs us through how she was feeling and how she was viewing the match. And then Jess Jonathan is very candidly takes us inside the match, inside how she was feeling in that, in that final over especially. So yeah, it's two great conversations. So hope you enjoy it. And Kristen Beams, former Australia leg spinner and ABC commentator. Welcome back to The Scoop. Beamsy. massive week for a lot of people, but for you in particular, you had cat presentations, Hall of Fame photo shoots, you're in the commentary box. You were, you're were you a bit of an everywhere woman in that test match. Beamsy. have you recovered from, especially after one of the most incredible days of test cricket we've ever seen? Hey guys, no,
0: I don't think I have recovered and it just was an incredible four days of cricket and you know, for me personally, incredibly special to to have the opportunity to be a part of the most special day in, in someone's career. I think everyone remembers getting their, their first baggy green. So um, yeah, amazing to be a part of that. And to see that sort of cricket, to see the up and down, to see the ebb and flow across four days, I think anyone that kicks back watching test cricket, whether it be men's cricket or women's cricket, probably agrees with me that it might have just been the very best test of the summer that we've seen.
3: Absolutely. And you've obviously been part of of tests in the past would have seen quite a few where do you think this rates amongst the other women's tests you've been part of obviously there's so many through the years that we just can't compare it to because there's no vision and we just haven't seen the the great tests of you know 50 90 years ago but from the ones you've experienced and seen where does it rank
0: yeah it's a great point that you make that we we actually don't have the ability to go back Mm -hmm. and and watch some of those great matches and and so therefore the stories are, are sort of the big ones I think every Australian player wants to be a part of a, a winning one. So if you, you know, talk to any of the girls, I'm sure they'll talk about the ones that, that they won. But I, I think in terms of the most even contest that we've seen and to see, you know, a big hundred from a Heather Knight, you know, we see Fifers, we see players on debut, seeing young players dominate like Alana King and Annabelle mm. Sutherland. It kind of felt like there were so many different storylines. And for that reason, it, it just rates so highly for, for me as, as one of the great games to test cricket.
3: And what sort of impact do you think a game like that could have on the future of women's test
0: cricket? It's funny straight after the game that people was, were saying, well, it could be a really long time before we we see the Australian women's team play a test match. I think the outcome will be that we will see one sooner rather than later because of that. And I think if it drives Australia to, to play more test cricket, it looks like England are going to play a test against South Africa is that it's only going to grow people's interest to want to play it. And hopefully we see some of the other countries sort of take that from what we've seen in Manica, and say, well, maybe we can do it as well. You know, why can't we see a, a test match against Pakistan and and Sri Lanka or India or somebody else or um, or the West Indies to see other nations go? Actually, maybe we should be starting to have a look at this format because it was so good to watch, and and that would be a great outcome of of this great game that we saw at Manica.
2: Yeah, I guess Beamsy, from your perspective, how do you want to see? Um, this format growing in the women's game? Do you want to see more multi-format series played against other nations or do you want to see, say, Australia and England playing multi-test series or is it the five days that you want to see? How do you see this format growing? I think
0: definitely five days. I'm a big fan of, of five-day test cricket with a pink ball. I, I think it behaves in a, in a similar manner to the, the white ball. So I think it seems a, a really logical progression, even though everyone likes to play red ball test cricket. So I'd see mm-hmm. that that was the way forward. I think everyone adopting multi-format cricket—that would be the really good way to yeah. to get every country playing Test cricket. Um, and then I think in the future, I think there's a chance for maybe a nearly like a bespoke three Test series between Australia and England mm. um, as part of the the Ashes, because I think between those two countries, I think Australia and England are always going to be the top two nations when we talk about Test cricket. So. I think that's that's a really good aspirational goal for for both countries.
3: And just to unpack some of that um, madness on day four, what were your expectations heading into the day after the washed out sessions on day three, and with Australia two for twelve with not too much of a lead?
0: I think we probably all had the expectation there would be a partnership in there somewhere for Australia, and and we saw that partnership, and and then we we saw Australia become in a position where that they were going to declare, and I think as a, as a former Australian player, I thought that I would leave the declaration longer. Um, mm-hmm. I think your, your sporting declarations are a really nice thing. Um, but I think as a, as a player, you don't want to leave it to be too tight. So I thought that when Meg declared, I thought, oh, okay, this is, this is probably earlier than I thought they were going to do it, but it was still one hell of a chase for, for England. You know, the run rate was high right from the word go. So I think it, you know, I tip my hat to, to both Heather Knight and, and Meg Lanning for, for putting that game in a position where we saw what we saw because I think, you know, had it lasted a bit longer, the declaration, had it been a bit soo- sooner, it could have really swung the game either way or it could have ended up being a, a bit of a dead rubber on that last day. So, you know, well done to both captains for for putting it in that position.
2: And Beamsy, you're in the commentary box with a couple of English people as well. What was the chatter around the timing of the de- declaration I mean, a lot of people were calling for Meg to declare earlier, which we can all imagine what would have happened then.
0: Yeah, every English person in in our commentary box was was talking about, hey, that, you know, she's got to declare, she's got to do this, she's got to do that. And, and you totally get that from their point of view. But, yeah. you know, I'm a believer that, you know, Heather Knight won that toss and elected to bowl. So she handed over the responsibility to, to Meg Lanning. So she would, would have been well within her rights to do it when she when she felt it, um, she only needed to declare when she had she felt she had enough overs to to bowl them out. So it's always an interesting one you look at it from the England side and you go, yeah, maybe she should have declared sooner mm-hmm. you look at it from Australian side and go, Oh, she doesn't really have to. So I think we ended up with something right in the middle, which is why we saw such a great finish. And
3: what did you make of some of Meg's bowling changes there? Obviously there was the decision to bring back Darcy Brown that, that got that wicket of Heather Knight, but then also backing in Annabelle Sutherland through that final hour or so um, over people like Elise Perry.
0: Yeah, it was, we were sitting in the commentary box trying to hypothesize what was going to happen. And I think that's what I love about Test cricket is that as a when you're looking at the captaincy and you sit back and, and watch it, they get to go on gut feel. And it looked to me that Meg Lanning just went on complete gut feel on on how she wanted to do it. And she spoke about players that she felt could go stump to stump and she thought that, that Annabelle Sutherland was a really good option to do that. I'm not surprised she went with leg spin. She's always been a captain that's wanted to take wickets. And I think she knew, especially when England were going, that that she probably needed someone like Alana King. She needed to try and take wickets to to stem the flow. But you know, I loved her honesty when at the end of the game when she talked about, you know, we weren't really sure what to what to do out there. And, you know, maybe it took us a bit too long to go around the wicket. I loved the the honesty of of that. And it just goes to show that in that test format, there is no right or wrong answer. I think she could have easily gone back to Elise Perry to, to bowl some overs, but then to back Annabelle Sutherland, is that gonna be the making of Annabelle Sutherland's career in this series in the World Cup? You know, we're we gonna see her in the ODIs now. Um, I think there'll be some more storylines out of the decisions that, that Meg Lanning made on that last day, which which could be really important for some young players in their
2: careers. Yeah, and there was a point, Beamsy, where England, they just got themselves into such a good position. They were batting beautifully with Heather Knight, Nat Siver, and then, of course, Sophia Dunkley. But then all of a sudden they weren't, and then there were wickets falling and they were into the tail end. What was your gut feel saying at this point? I mean, I always think that it's hard to see this Australian team losing. They just always seem to come up with a bit of magic at the right time. But what did you think was going to unfold?
0: Yeah, it looked like England got themselves into a position where they couldn't lose. And, mm. you know, as a, as a former Australian player, that was hard to watch. Um, and you're, you're watching it going, oh, my goodness, um, what's going to happen here? That yeah. They're going to win this Test match. And it felt like everything just turned to gold for them. Every time they took on the bowling, um, every time there was a field change, it felt like that it went in another position. It just it just sort of felt like everything was going England's way. And um, at times, the, the wickets nearly came out of nowhere. I thought that the introduction of Darcy Brown was a great move. And then all of a sudden, Australia sort of worked out what they were trying to do. I think when Annabelle went around the wicket, it was like, okay, you could nearly see Australia taking some of the control back. And I think that was a really important shift in, in the game because it felt like England had the momentum and they were just they were going to finish it with, with overs to spare. So, um, yeah, it was a really interesting sort of session of test cricket to see it kind of move and, and change a bit like that and to see people under pressure. And I think on both sides, you saw batters under pressure, you saw Meg Lanning under pressure, the fielders under pressure. And it was, yeah, you, you sort of – I was sitting back going like, I'm nearly glad that's not me because you get into a position <laughs> yeah. when you're out there where you're like, wow, like <laughs> – it comes to me, I'm going to have to catch it. Like there's too much happening. And then, you know, the brilliance of Rachel Haynes is catching. You were just like, oh, wow. like It just it just had
2: everything. Beth Moody, broken jaw. No worries. <laughs>
0: no big deal. So if you're
3: England, like how do you try and look back at that, that run chase and what went wrong? Because they were needing well under a runner ball when the wickets started to fall. And it seemed like they really didn't need to be playing some of those shots they were playing. How do you how do you think that came about for them?
0: Yeah, it would be it'd be interesting on those individual batter reflections, and you know, I think they've still got so much to be proud of in that chase to mm. to move they that got Because nearly early on in that innings, it actually looked like they they maybe weren't even going for it. it. It took them a little while to get going. So when they got that run rate up, I think they they nearly need to only look at the positives to take into to this ODI series, and maybe when they next play their next Test match would be the right time to actually reflect on on the back end of, of that game, because I don't think there's any value um, in doing that right now. Cause I think what they've got to look at is going, wow, how good was Nat Siver, Heather Knight, Sophia Dunkley? How is that going to, how is that going to be? How important is that going to be in this ODI component and then into the world cup? So I think they've just got to look at that side of it and go, well, actually in isolation, it, it nearly was like a, a T20 or a, a one day back end chase is saying we're actually in really nice touch here. Uh, and we can probably chase anything down in, in these ODIs. Tests are few and far between, so you don't want to spend too much time reflecting on that and taking away from the preparation into the, the ODIs.
2: Yeah, for sure. And just quickly, Beamsy, Heather Knight and Catherine Brunt, they put up two of the most immense performances in that test match, like from two of England's finest players. We know you're an Aussie fan, but how how impressed were you with those individual efforts from, from those two players?
0: Yeah, amazing. I mean, when we talk about Heather Knight, the only player to make 100 in every format of the multi-format series, I think that really does say it all. I think she's found a way in different ways to be so successful in every format. And she plays T20 very differently to to how she plays ODIs and, and test innings. And I think what was so good about her is she just really led from the front. So as I said, it didn't look like they were actually going to chase it in that, in that second innings. And as soon as she walked out to the crease, it was like, these, these guys are on, they're going to, yeah. they're going to chase this, but you know, that, that 150 plus effort in a test match is, is incredible. And and Catherine Brunt's probably somebody who I just have a huge amount of respect for. Um, I love the way she goes about her cricket. I think that absolute passion, she was somebody you hated playing against because you was always in your face and you knew that she was always coming for you. And, I actually would have loved to have played cricket alongside her. I think she'd just be one of those players that you would just do anything for because of the way that she goes about it. But to think at at her age that she's still dominating international cricket, she's going to get to choose when she, when she ends it all. And, um, you know, I think that's a real true test of a player over such a long period of time, but, we're talking about two players who have dominated their entire careers and, and not many players get to say that over such a long career.
3: And I think we saw immediately after the test, the Australian mood was was fairly upbeat. I think they um, were quite relieved and, and felt like they'd really got away with one. Um, England were seeing you know, Heather Knight sounded distraught in a radio interview afterwards and, and obviously a very different mood there where they felt like they'd maybe let slip the game they needed to get the Ashes back. How do you think that mindset might be affecting the teams now or, or will they be able to shrug that off?
0: Yeah I actually think it'll be a great driver for England. I, I think the uh, the emotion and it was it was actually really nice to see that emotion uh, particularly from from Heather Knight who I think is just the ultimate professional and I think her players around her seeing that vulnerability will actually make them nearly want to run through a brick wall for her um, through, through this ODI series and Sometimes that's really important to to see your leader being vulnerable. Uh, so I think it'll be a great driver for England, and I think for Australia on the on the flip side, I think having that kind of relief. Okay, we we got away from one here. Um, I think they'll allow themselves to to maybe just play with a bit of freedom, and they're in a position in this series where they actually aren't under pressure for every single ball of every single game in the same way that England are needing to to win all of the ODIs. So. I think for for both teams, they, those emotions will actually be quite helpful for them going into to the ODI series. Um, so this this first game is is going to be really really important, and um, for England, just putting the pressure on Australia right from from ball one is going to be critical.
2: Yeah, and just a, just a bit of a left of field one, Beamsy. You were in the commentary box with ABC. How do you how do you manage to convey what's going on out in the field? Like it was absolute chaos. Like how do you manage to convey what was going on to all the fans listening on the radio? Yeah, it's a a really hard one. So you you end up trying to you're nearly
0: different to how you would normally be if I was sitting on my couch and watching it on the the TV or or I would have been just going absolutely mental um, and riding the highs and lows. And yet, I was sort of sat in the commentary box, trying to be like really cool, calm, and collected. And I kept saying to myself, "Just be factual." Um, and sometimes that's a really hard thing to to do. I mean, I I could put myself in those shoes of every Australian player and and know how they were feeling. And so it was a really hard thing to kind of not be that kind of outward emotion and just try and talk about the game. So um, I was lucky enough to to not be on air right at the back end. So. I had the chance to go and sit down by the ground, and that was a that was a really special moment to kind of be a part of because we went down thinking England were going to win the game, and we we saw nearly an Australian win, and then we end up seeing the draw. It was it was pretty special to nearly feel like I was a fan at the back end.
2: Nice. And how did how did Alex and Henry say it was? So that, were they on air for the final moments? The two English, they were. So as you can imagine, Alex was um, very
0: up and very down <laughs> based on how England was was going, and she's oh. a great character and. And still riding the the highs and lows of, of England, and um, she herself was a little bit emotional when the Aww. the game finished, and, and I love that. I think that that's you know incredibly sweet, and and just shows that how much Asha's series do mean to people. And um, yeah, sometimes we forget. We kind of say, oh, you know, it's just a game. Well, you know what? It's it's not always just a game for people. It's 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 their life, and so it was yeah, it was pretty special.
3: And so now, obviously, time for the ODIs to get underway. Australia leading six four. Um, we've heard that Megan Shute is coming back into that Australian 11. Um, what do you reckon she might kill him if if he (laughs) didn't bring her back? Um, how much of a selection squeeze is this going to create for Australia, given the way people like Annabelle Sutherland played in the test?
0: Oh, it's going to be an unbelievable selection. You start doing the math on who's in and who's out and you go, wow, there could be some really quality players that, that miss out. Um, Annabel Sutherland has done everything right during the test match to, to try and earn a spot in that starting 11. I love that Megan shoot is coming back. I mm-hmm. think her experience will allow um, the bowling to the bowling makeup to be whatever they want it to be. I think when you have experienced bowlers in your lineup, it just gives them a bit more flexibility in, in what they do. So um, it will be very interesting because I think all players would kind of feel like this first ODI, you're going to pick your best 11. So trying to make it into that first 11 would feel like you're getting a bit of a sense of where you might be from a World Cup point of view. So I reckon there's probably a couple of feisty net sessions in the in the lead-up um, <laughs> probably happening today. So that would be really interesting.
2: And Beamsie, just finally, what do you think is going to happen? Do you have any predictions for the first ODI? Like, do you think England can come out firing and get that win and keep the series alive? Oh, look, I think
0: they can. I think based on what we saw um, in that last innings um, in the test, you'd, you'd suggest that England have got the right tools to, to win an ODI against Australia. But, you know, I, I sit here and completely bias and I would love to see Australia get the win straight up and, and make it allow themselves to to really just have some great World Cup preparation in mm. Games 2 and 3 in the lead up to the World Cup. But you know, everything that England have done suggests that they're going to be very competitive in this component.
2: Yeah. It's going to be a fascinating encounter. Beansy, thank you as always for joining us on the scoop and we can't wait for the ashes to continue. We'll catch you soon. Thanks team. Thanks for having me. And Jess, Jonathan, we are so pumped to have you back on the scoop. As we were just saying off air, the last time we had you on JJ was in the WBBL village. So things have changed a bit since then. So different circumstances, but JJ, what a week of cricket that was! Like it was an emotional roller coaster for us. Can't imagine how you're feeling. Have you recovered and sort of managed to get your head around around what happened in that test match? Yeah, thanks for
1: having me. Um, look, uh, to be honest, the on the Monday I was a complete space cadet. I <laughs> did not even know what to think, what to do. Um, I was just so mentally exhausted. I think, um, and obviously, yeah, like how quickly that game evolved in not only the last session, but the last hour um, sort of went from an almost, well, it's looking like we, we should have lost at one point, And then on the brink of a, a victory, it was pretty crazy, but I mean, yeah, something that I'm really proud to have been a part of. And um, I think I saw a, a post the other day about the audience numbers in, in tuning into that final session. And it's just incredible for the women's game.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and before we
3: get stuck into dissecting that test, just for you personally, how good has it been to be back amongst international cricket after missing out against India earlier in the summer?
1: Yeah, look, not going to lie, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water for the first little while. It's sort of, um, oh. it, it's crazy. It's <laughs> crazy to say that because, um, but yeah, it's just... Because it's felt like such a long time being um, away from the setup that, um, yeah, to come back in, I was sort of trying to refine my feet again. But um, look, I'm really excited for the ODIs to be coming up now um, because I mean I think so far in this series other than the test we haven't really played a lot of cricket in this series so um, obviously with the two washouts but um, yeah looking forward to to playing some more more cricket and yeah I'm sort of Finding my way again, um, back in and around the setup. How did
2: you go watching? Are you a good watcher of cricket when you're watching your teammates out of the field?
1: Um, uh, I have my moments. I sort of, <laughs> I, I guess, I was fortunate enough to be involved in some sort of analysis of the that Indian series, so um, that was a, a new thing for me and something that I really enjoyed. So I was sort of watching the game from a slightly different perspective um, that time around. So, I mean, I'm a bit of a a cricket snuff. If there's cricket on, I'll watch it. I don't really care who's playing, um, much to my partner's disappointment sometimes. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I just say, oh, it's my job. I need to watch. I need to
2: analyse. (laughs) Oh, and JJ, we know you're in a pretty strict bubble with all the COVID restrictions and everything. But how are you going? Like, how are you keeping yourself up at about and stuff? Um, and I guess it would have been nice to have the tennis on so you could watch watch Ash do her thing back in Melbourne.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of being an introvert that I am I don't necessarily mind my own company um so yeah I mean for the first part of this this tour it's been nice that the end of the BBL was on as well as the Australian Open so yeah it's incredible how Ash did um taking out the title uh incredibly hard worker so yeah it was nice to watch that and then yeah I've been sort of filling my time with a few Netflix shows and um plenty of reading so and Plenty of baths as well. So if there's a good <laughs> bath, in there's a hotel, yeah, if there's a hotel with a bath, I'll just light a candle and away I go and there goes an hour. So <laughs> right,
2: That's what oh, I'm going to do in quarantine, I think. <laughs> yeah, so when you can't,
1: yes. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've gone for a few walks as well, but, yeah, in the quarantine stuff, if, if there's a bath, I'll be a happy girl. And, and any good Netflix recommendations you've got for us? Uh Look, I've been watching a few sort of rogue similar to what I read I guess a bit of like murder mystery thriller type things so um the, the new one sort of the puppet master came out so been watching that a little bit okay. um but yeah it's probably some of the things I, I watch or I recommend is sort of an acquired taste I think <laughs> Fair I and do I have had a good recommendation from Ash Gardner though I think it's the good girls Um, so something, something along those, something along those lines. Anyway, it's a bit of a, a comedy or drama type thing as well. So that's next on the agenda. Nice one. (laughs)
3: And there's just so many, um, ups and downs over the four days of a test match. And we had rain delays, momentum swings, some epic performances, and it's not something you guys do too often. So how do you handle that physical and mental load of a, a four day test?
1: Yeah, look, it's sort of. Oh, the, the rain, I mean, is frustrating at any time in any format. But I guess with the test stuff, it's sort of, you know, you've got the whole day. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes it's a good and a bad thing that you're sort of sitting around that whole time just waiting. Um, whereas in the shorter format, you sort of, you don't have to wait around as long um, for a decision to be made. But, yeah, it's sort of, I think the fact that so much time was taken out of the game yet a result still almost happened was a credit to both sides for that that fact but um yeah I mean sort of batting down the order in in test match cricket sort of sit around the whole day and um it can almost be a bit more draining um because you're watching well for me anyway it's like I'm watching every ball um and sort of drinking copious amounts of tea um (laughs) so yeah it's sort of I was having to try and hold off a bit longer each time before I had a cup of tea because um, I'd been missing too much of the action. But, um, yeah, it's sort of – it is probably more of that mental side of things um, Mm. to actually sort of make sure you're switched on when you need to be, Um, which, yeah, like you touched on, we're not really used to that. It's sort of focusing your attention for an hour here or there, whereas Mm. sometimes you happen to, to be switched on for almost like six hours of the day um, at various points within that.
2: So that fourth day, JJ, I don't think anyone could have predicted what was going to unfold, but what were the team vibes when you were heading to Marnica that morning? I mean, I think it was two for 12 when you guys resumed. Were you keen to go out, put a lot of runs on the board and, and go for that win? Yeah, look, that was always our mentality.
1: Um, even though the rain took that significant amount of time out of the game the, the day before, um, yeah, it was always our mentality. We knew obviously starting a little bit earlier as well, that um, probably the first half an hour um, to hour of that day's play was going to be critical. Um, and we knew that we needed to bat well in that first time to just sort of set up and I guess give ourselves a an opportunity to play from the front, I guess. So, um, yeah, I mean, credit to, to Moons and Pez and how they came out. Yeah. Um, on that final morning and really put us in a position that we were able to, to make the decision to declare and try and go for a win. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there were a few nervous moments out in the field, not going to lie. Um, okay. I think Meg has the, Meg probably has the best poker face in in world cricket at the moment, but um, even she admitted to, to being a bit like a duck on water (laughs) that's underneath the surface. It was a bit chaotic. But, um, yeah, sort of we had the senior heads out there, like Pez, Rach and Meg were in constant communication and trying to slow the game down and um, try and make sure that we were giving ourselves the best chance. And, um, yeah, I mean, also we saw how Annabelle Sutherland, um, her spell as well. But I think the crucial moment was when um, Dusty Brown, um, got Heather Knight out LBW. That sort of really um I guess ignited something in us that we were we knew we needed to break the partnership. And then um yeah after that it sort of just happened very quickly. Uh, so you went yeah you went out to bat with Australia leading
3: by 239. What was the message for you at that point from Megan Moddy? Did you think a declaration might be close? Uh
1: yeah so by the time I went out to bat I knew that um we were going to be declaring in about five overs um so yeah for me I just sort of went out there and tried to get as many runs as I could um however I could and um fortunately I was able to hit a few boundaries in those balls that I faced and it allowed us to to declare a couple of overs earlier um than we'd sort of planned so um yeah, that was nice sort of bit of fun to go out there with that freedom as well. And, um, yeah, give ourselves those couple extra overs, which I guess in the end could have
2: made a difference in, in terms of England going for it or not. Yeah. Big time. So Meg called you in, the carrot was dangled, but England did need a record run chase to get that win. And they gave it a red hot crack. I mean, siever. Heather Knight, obviously, and then, of course, Sophia Dunkley, like, they batted really well. And England, as you said, they were in the box seat. So what was, like, what was running through your mind when they seemed to just be finding the boundary almost every over?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, they, yeah, they came out with some really good intent um, at the start, and we sort of figured, well, they were coming out to play it like, a 50-over game um start, and then it got to the point then, yeah, where it was almost a bit of T20 style, just in whites and with a red ball, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was sort of, it was a challenging time at different points there where it sort of found it difficult to feel like you were building any pressure. Um, even when you had fielders out, they still were somehow finding ways to either get twos or um, the odd boundary in there. But um, yeah, we knew that we still needed to to sort of defend in some ways with the, the fields we were setting, but still try and bowl attacking and still try and get them out. And um, yeah, it's sort of... Obviously, the way that Heather batted in that test match was exceptional, particularly that first inning. And we knew that she was going to be a big wicket and somebody with the class like Nat Siver as well. She was never going to sort of miss out um, twice in a row. So, um, yeah, it's sort of, we knew that those two batters were were really key wickets. And then to be fair, Sophia Dunkley just came out and batted out of her skin. Um, obviously, fortunate in that very first ball that she faced to have the decision um, go her way. Um, with the LBW, with the ball sort of showing just to go over. So that's another thing as well. Like you have so many different moments in a test match and then you have something like that that um, it could have been a completely different hundred percent tail if the yeah. ball was a couple of millimetres lower. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and obviously that Siva dismissal was really key in sort of kicking off that collapse from England. Um, some amazing catching in there too for, from you guys. When did you start to think you you really had a sniff and that victory was possible?
1: Um, Well, to be honest, I was looking up at the scoreboard like right back when they still needed like 70 runs. I was looking up at it every time and trying to do the math in my head with how many runs of how many balls they needed. And um, I think like even when they were seven down and still needing 40-odd runs or something, I still thought that – we were in a little bit of trouble that we still needed to try and find at least another wicket or um, sort of build a lot of dot balls because we saw how Sophie Eccleston hung around with Heather Knight in that first innings as well. And, um, yeah, it's sort of it was things like that. I, I was sort of not trying to think, oh, yeah, we we're coming we're coming in hot here. Like, we're... We potentially yeah. could um, pull pull something off, um, but it was probably yeah when when they it wasn't until they were nine down I think, um, and then I wasn't quite sure how um, Cross would come out to bat. Um, and to be honest, I was a little bit surprised that they they got her to block it out. Um, yeah, I um, thought that there was still the potential that she could have come out and just still batted normally, um, risk free and still put pressure on because we still needed to, to I guess, restrict them and try and take the wicket. Um, and, I mean, I guess that's just the the thing. If they had one more wicket in hand, maybe she would have come out um, or that batter, whoever it would have been, would have come out and tried to get the runs. Um, but I guess, yeah, you sort of – when when you're behind and you, you can't afford to lose it, um, I guess a draw – was the, the next best thing for them in that
2: phase. Yeah, so many elements. And got down to that final over and it was just remarkable. Like all four results of a test match were possible and it was just crazy that it actually got to that point. But can you sum up like the adrenaline and the chaos of that final over? Like were you chatting to Kate Cross and Sophie Eccleston out oh, yeah. there and how, how like how was Kingy handling it? Was it just madness? Yeah, I mean I was running past both Soph and, and Crossy and...
1: <laughs> um Giving him a bit of a grin and oh, I'm pretty good mates with Crossy. So nice. I was sort of getting into her a bit when there was maybe three balls to go. And I was like, come on, Crossy, it's two sixes. It's all it takes, two sixes. <laughs> and she turned around to me and gave me the biggest grin. So, um, oh. I mean, I was trying, but um, <laughs> yeah, to her credit, she she knew she had a job to do. It was just basically don't get out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh no, I think, um, yeah, Kingy, Kingy did exceptionally well. Um, she was saying afterwards that she couldn't believe she bowled that fully off the last ball. She was just trying to get it as full as possible, but not that full. Um, but yeah, sort of. It was it was set up beautifully for for her. Um, and I mean, she she deserved to be in that position in that last over to to be trying to bowl us to victory um, with with how she bowled all test match. So. Yeah, it's sort of, it's just one of those things. That it sort of makes for a really good story. And it's just crazy to think um, the resilience of our side and how we got ourselves to that position yeah. in the first place to potentially win a test match.
3: And um, Annabelle Sutherland yesterday was saying just how much fun she was having during the, those final overs. And you've obviously played in a few more test matches than her, but Is it just really fun when you're hunting for a wicket like that and you've got that novelty of having so many people around the bat, which you you wouldn't normally have?
1: Oh, it is, without a doubt, especially when you're coming in um, with that confidence with the ball in your hand that, um, you know, you just need to keep landing it and keep doing what you're doing. And um, sometimes as well, it's like when you know that the batters are coming at you, sometimes that's actually a thrill in itself and it's sort of like you're trying to... Get the better over each other, and I mean, for, for Belzy to come around the wicket as well and be the enforcer, and um, yeah, I mean, any fast bowl, any young fast bowler would have loved that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm just thrilled for her that it, it was able to come off and she was able to take a few wickets with her, and um. Yeah, the fact that yeah, she sort of was doing anything and everything she could for her team to to try and bowl us to victory, and didn't matter how tired she was, she was just <laughs> going to keep steaming in and keep putting in. And I guess ultimately that's what Test cricket's about—that um, you can be sort of on your your tank could be empty, but you still somehow find something <laughs> somewhere um, to try and do do your job for the team.
2: Yeah, so good. Look, yeah, just looked amazing to be out there and so when you came off it was a draw what was like the overriding emotion like how did the team sort of reflect I mean Meg looked pretty relieved and happy and you all looked like you kind of got out got out of jail a little bit yeah to be honest it actually
1: felt like that a little bit um for a few of us so we were sort of like how did we
2: yeah like
1: how did we do that like how (laughs) do we obviously like at the end of the the game you always want to finish with a victory but I think the overarching feeling was just pride um, in the sense that we genuinely had our backs against the wall for a large portion of that final session and to claw it back and claw it back the way that we did. um, And I I know we were sitting in a circle as a team, um, sharing a a quiet drink or two, and Maudie just said that even if we ended up losing that game – closely he said he still would have been extremely proud of us and the way that we sort of brought it back and um, that just epitomises our group that um, we sort of never really give up um, and it's sort of we always put in until there's the game's over basically that it doesn't matter what situation we're in we'll always try and go for a win Yeah. yeah so yeah, it was sort of. It was obviously a bit of relief, but um, yeah, overwhelming sort of feeling of pride to be able to to get ourselves in that position in the first place.
3: And when you sort of look at the different tests you've been a part of, how does that um, this test and that final day compare to, say, Canterbury in twenty fifteen?
1: Um, well, that's a bit of an unfair question, LJ, because. <laughs> I mean, nothing for me will ever compare to a day to my debut test. But I mean, think, thinking of the others that I've been a part of as well, like the day night one in North Sydney, as well as the Taunton one. I think this one here in Marnica has probably been one of the most exciting, and I guess it's been the biggest roller coaster through yeah. the whole test that. Um, no team ever sort of dominated for the whole game or a whole day or whatnot. It was sort of a couple of key players stepping up at different times from each set, each team. Mm. And sort of just everything, there was so many ebbs and flows um, that like obviously we, we were in trouble early with the bat at different times, but then some really good partnerships, same with England, had Heather Knight. So I think, yeah, it's sort of it would definitely be the top two for me um, purely because my debut test match has to be up there because any debut is really special. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sort of in terms of how the women's games progressing, I think you'll continue to see more test matches played the exact same way that this one was. it's It was the highest scoring test match that, I've ever been a part of
2: yeah I mean I don't understand how anyone could have (laughs) not enjoyed watching that and it really did seem like everyone was watching everyone was talking about it like everyone was just saying how much how exciting it was to watch in the couple of days since like have you sort of and the team as well gotten a sense of like the impact a match like that can have on the future of test match cricket for for women
1: yeah I think it's been a a real positive we've had some of the um, male Australian players tweeting about it or talking about it. Even some high profile athletes from other sports have been talking about how good it was or to, to switch on to the, the cricket or, or whatnot. So it's like, I think it's things like that, that you you underestimate the reach that a game like that can have. Um, and I've also had some dads of young girls sort of send messages out and say that, some of their girls said it was the best day of their life and had the biggest smile. And I mean, I, I remember in that final session, I was down on the boundary, uh, God knows why, but I was down on the boundary and um, these two young girls were, were yelling out the let's go Aussie, let's go chant. And I was joining in the clapping and they, they stayed (laughs) after the game and they were having, they just said it was the best thing that they were able to witness that that, so, yeah, the fact that they said it's the best day ever, I think it's things like that that really um, make me, I guess, realise the importance that we can play um, in in growing the game um, and also, I guess, getting that appetite out there for, for more women's Test Match cricket. Because, um, yeah, I mean, if you continue to have games like that, then... Um, yeah, there's... A no-brainer. You can't ask for much else, can you? <laughs>
3: yeah, I feel like this happens every time there's a test and we always ask the players, would you like to play more? And, of course, the answer is yes. Um, but mm. maybe it really feels like this might be the test that is a bit of a tipping point. From your perspective, how would you like to see that go forward? Um, is it more multi-format series? Is it five-day games?
1: Yeah, look, it's always going to be a, a tricky one to sort of strike the balance, but, I mean, I... Uh, I know I'm not alone in the sense that if most of, or if not all of our bilateral series can somehow become a multi-format series, that, that would be an incredible step forward. But I, I get that it has sort of scheduling issues and it probably adds an extra two weeks or so onto tours. But I think if it's not that, then, um, yeah, I'd love to play at least – test matches against um, some of the other sort of leading nations in the likes of South Africa, New Zealand, um, obviously reciprocal one against India um, and even the West Indies eventually. But um, I guess if that doesn't happen, um, then if it's only test matches against England, then sort of hopefully a five days or even a multiple tests as part of it. um, That, yeah, it's sort of you got to sort of think of ways to continue growing the women's game and people sort of have thought over the last few years it's been the shorter format and T20 cricket, but I think it's that side of it's helped gain better exposure with the women's game. But I think the best way to, to fully develop players and their skills, um, both physically and mentally and tactically as well, is through longer format cricket um a lot of us grew up playing boys cricket and that was sort of multi multi days um grew up playing red ball cricket so um yeah I think I'd love to see more red ball cricket somehow um whether that's sort of in Australia domestically or internationally um yeah I'm not entirely sure but I'm happy
2: to be part of conversations helping drive it forward That's the only thing we can do. We'll just keep pushing, keep fighting that good fight. And JJ, obviously the Ashes is not done yet. We've got still, as you said before, three ODIs remaining, which is a format that you guys have had so much success in and you yourself personally as well. Obviously the first match is a pretty big one. How do you guys approach this first one?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's one of those things that um, we have the opportunity to, to win the Ashes tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. Um, which is something that's really exciting for us. And um, equally, we know that England are going to come out fighting and they're going to come out hard. And um, I think, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting match. But I think it's going to be one of those things that whichever team sort of holds their nerve in the big moments um, will probably come out on top. That um, It'll be interesting to see what type of wickets produced for this game, whether it's sort of a flat one or whether there's something a little bit in it. So, um, yeah, look, we'll we'll look to play no different to what we have over the last few years in in the sense of taking the game on and um, trying to put a really good product out there and um, hopefully at the end of the night it's an
2: Australian victory. That's the spirit, yeah JJ, always a pleasure to chat to you and yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience of what was just an unbelievable match to watch, so yeah, it was so good to hear hear your perspective and yeah, all the best for the ODIs and go Aussies. No worries, thanks for having me. He leaves
0: the Australia away. Sit back and enjoy the stroke player Meg Lanny. This is
1: excellent
2: batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes
1: again, She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux.